You want to get your Bibles, turn to the book of Daniel. We're going to be over in the book of Daniel tonight. We've been studying Isaiah. We're going to take a break from Isaiah and uh, study the first six chapters of the book of Daniel, which I am very much looking forward to a study of this book. Uh, this is one of those books that, um, that the first time you study it and dig into it, you're just blown away by the amount of application, uh, a lot like the book of James that we just concluded. Uh, there's a number of, of messages in it for us today that are very interesting as we consider how, how old this is. This is Old Testament. You know, this is a long time ago. And yet the story that we, we read as we look into this book uh, is just full of applications for us today. So I'm looking forward to our, our study together uh, as we consider the, the life of Daniel and the situations that he's put in. Now, we could go all the way through the book of Daniel, but in the second half it gets a little sticky. Um, and we'll save that for another time, maybe uh, whenever we're, we're a little bit more advanced than later on. Uh, but right now, we're just going to look at these first six chapters, and I hope that you'll follow along uh, for us, uh, with us. Imagine for just a moment uh, being a young man, not much older than a boy, being taken away from the familiar, uh, taken away from family, friends, from the homeland that you had grown so accustomed to all your life, uh, and not, not you know, that this was something planned for all your life you've been preparing for, but that all of a sudden, one day, it was thrown upon you that you were going to be taken away from everyone and everything that you know, and you're going to be put into a different place that, that's full of different people, uh, and, and speaking different languages and having different uh, religious practices and different uh, ways of uh, morality and, and things of that nature. Imagine yourself being thrown into that kind of a situation. Uh, and it's not as though you're going to be thrown from wealth into poverty, uh, but it's that you're going to be thrown into dis, you know, distinguished wealth, you know, decent life, into exorbitant amounts of wealth. Uh, and into a city that is beautiful beyond compare and uh, prosperity and, and, and all kinds of luxuries that maybe you've never experienced before in your life. And so in some ways there's some excitement inside of you, right, as you're, you're, you're being uh, taken to this really amazing exotic area that you've never been before, never imagined you're a young man, young, young woman, uh, but at the same time, there's a lot of fear and trepidation, right? I mean, these are, these are different people. I don't, I don't have mom and dad with me anymore. I don't have the security of knowing what's going to happen on a daily basis. Imagine how traumatic that would be to your system to, to wake up uh, in, in a strange place with strange sights, strange smells, strange sounds every day. Uh, and that is a little bit of the picture of what we're, we're studying about today. It says in verse 1 of Daniel 1, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, 
and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. <coughs> so what we read there in the first uh, four verses is that Nebuchadnezzar has been given the ability to overthrow Jerusalem, to, to conquer the king, and to take even vessels out of the treasury, out of the, the temple, and, and put them into a place of worshiping a foreign god. So there's, some, there's a lot of things in there that are just mind-blowing. But as we look at this, we notice that there are some men who are notable. They're, these are noble men, men of the royal family, youths without blemish, who have all of this uh, going for them. They're, they're beautiful. They have good appearance. They're skillful in wisdom. Uh, they, they've got knowledge. They've got understanding and learning. They're competent. I mean, these are, these are the cream of the crop. These guys had everything going for them. In Jerusalem, they would have been at the very top of, of all the people and the high officials as if they would have just been allowed to live out their lives there. This is the best of the best. And Nebuchadnezzar has decided to take them for himself and bring them into the city of Babylon where they will serve at the king's palace. And they will uh, be given uh, literature and the language of the Chaldeans. They will be educated with the education system of the Babylonians. So everything is changing for these guys. Everything. Uh, and, and the king Nebuchadnezzar has been given the power and the authority and the ability to do this to them. Against their will. They didn't volunteer for this. This isn't an apprenticeship or an internship. This is forced uh, slavery, essentially, that's taking place uh, in Babylon. And as we read this, we notice some very interesting things happen in the first chapter. Notice, uh, first of all, we, we saw that they uh, were told, you're going to learn about our literature. You're going to learn about our language. You're going to understand, uh, you know, what we do and who we are and why we do the things that we do. That's very interesting. Uh, but continue reading. Verse 5, it says, the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. As you read through that, you see that there is a little bit more going on than just transferring and transitioning over to Babylon. There is a desire of the king to assimilate them, to bring them in and make them Babylonians. Uh, that he has this kind of a strategy in his mind to craft their identity. Did you notice their names are going to be changed. Their names, which would speak to their God, speak to the, the greatness of their God and how God has blessed them and how God is their strength and all of these kinds of ideas is going to be replaced with names that point to the Babylonian gods. And the king has this in mind that he's going to educate them for three years. For three years, they're going to be indoctrinated with all of the, the truths of Babylon so that they believe what the Babylonians believe, so that they observe what the Babylonians observe, so that they hold to the practices of the Babylonians and they submit, submit themselves to the laws of the Babylonians. 
This king has chosen to handpick the brightest stars of Jerusalem. He's offered them education. He's offered them influence. And did you notice he offered them delicacies? You're going to get to eat the king's food. You're going to get to eat the best of this nation. He is not just trying to, you know, give them an education so they could be better people for themselves. He's trying to give them an education so that they can be instruments in his kingdom for his benefit. So that they will adopt Babylonian practices and so that Judaism can become Babylonianism. Uh, And there can be a transition from observing just the one true God to observing the gods of the Babylonians. You see, the Babylonians are trying to overwrite the heritage that had been ingrained in these young men since they were born. That was the goal. That was the mission of the Babylonians. That was the mission of King Nebuchadnezzar. And so as we read this, you see, and, and you can kind of read between the lines and understand that this is not just a transition and just going through the motions so that, you know, you just get the lingo right and so that you kind of look the part. This is trying to full-scale transform these people into Babylonians so that they could use them to accomplish their goals. The idea is if you conform, you'll be accepted. You just need to conform. You just need to be like us. You need to do the things that we do, say the things that we say, believe the things that we believe. And then you'll be accepted. And you're going to have a luxurious life that's full of prosperity, full of joy. And you just have to bend a little bit and then you'll be loved. And everything will go well for you in your life. After all, our God did defeat your God. After all, we are the the most powerful, the most wealthy nation on the earth. I mean, shouldn't you want to be like us? I mean, from all exterior looks of things, we are the best. You should try to be the best. So we're going to just, we're so generous, we're just going to give you all of this so that you can be as good and wonderful as we are. In this, there's nothing, there's nothing overtly stated. Uh, the, the, the king was trying to manipulate them. The king was trying to uh, transition them from, Babylonia, from, from Israelite to Babylonian. There's no ex, ex, uh, explanation of all of that. But it's just this subtle description of how they're going to be tempted. They're going to be tempted. They're going to be called upon to compromise, to make subtle allowances so that they can be accepted and enjoy a more comfortable life. These guys have been in Jerusalem. They were among the best. I'm sure their life was full of comfort and ease. And you could just imagine losing a standard of living and how that would affect you and how that would be difficult for you if all of a sudden now you were forced to move into another land and they had all the, the air conditioning and the indoor plumbing and all of that, but they could take that away, okay? They could take away your toilet paper if they wanted to. Um, and how would you feel about that? Uh, and if, if you just... Do what we do, then everything's going to be fine. You're going to get to have all the stuff you've always had. In fact, we're going to give you even more than that. It's going to be okay. 
just make a few compromises. Just laugh at this joke whenever we say it. It, it may be inappropriate. It may be a little bit outside of what you believe is morally good and, and right. But just laugh at it anyway. Just join in with us in our revelry. Join in with us in, in the pursuit of fun and pleasure. And, and don't be a, don't a buzzkill. You know, don't dampen our joy and our fun. But instead, go along with it and, and enjoy it with us. Be a part of us. Be a part of the team. You know, you really want to be the best of the best. So tell that lie. Do the, say, say that you're better. Obviously, you know, you, you're only going to get as much as you put into it. You just need to give everything to this. And you can be the greatest in Babylon. And that's much better than anything you would ever be in Jerusalem. You see how some of this could easily relate to us today. I mean, it's, it's just... It's saturated with Americanism. <laughs> uh, the idea that, uh, you know, you, you just, you, you need to pursue that comfort, okay? That comfort is the most important thing. You can't let it go, okay? And if as long as you conform and as long as you agree to all the things that we're trying to get you to agree to, you're going to receive that comfort. Uh, you might have to give up some, some integrity. You might have to let go of holding on to things that you think are really important and really valuable. But it's all going to be worth it. You just need to give in. You'll keep your job if you say this is okay. You'll keep your job if you don't say this is wrong. We all have... Different instances, different things in our lives. It's hard for me to create all the examples of all the situations that you're going to go through as you go to school or as you go to work or as you just deal with neighbors around you. We all have those situations where there's a comfortable route, but that route has compromises. That route is going to make it to where we look more like the world than we look like a follower of Christ. And so there is a pressure that's being put on us in our lives in some way to, to conform, to be like everybody else. What is your pressure point? What are those people around you that are in the world and that are of the world trying to push you to do? And what are they hoping that you'll, you'll allow them to do without any kind of statement or without any kind of apprehension in yourself? What are, you, what are they hoping you'll join with them in? so that they can feel like that sin is okay. And how are you going to respond to that opportunity that's given to you to say no? As you continue reading, we learn about these men, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, of the tribe of Judah, of the kingly tribe, standing up for what they believe. Look at verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And, and God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear the Lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who were of your own age? So you would endanger my head with, sorry, with the king. 
Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the ewes who eat at the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. And at the end of ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the ewes who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Notice here that there's just these guys who, who have been coming out of the Jewish nation. They know that that food is not okay. And, and it says Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. And so he doesn't pitch a fit. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't rebel. He doesn't condemn everybody and say, you guys are a bunch of idolaters. I'm not doing that. But he says, he asks not to eat the food that would defile him. Why did he do that? Because he was committed. He didn't just on a whim decide, oh, ah, we don't usually eat that in Judah. I don't think I want to eat that. I think, I think I'm just going to say no. Okay? You don't say no to the, to, to the king's eunuch in this foreign place as they're trying to give you all these things. You don't do it flippantly. You don't just say, oh, no, I'm good. You, you, you think that through. And he made the decision not to eat, and he said, I'd, I'd rather not because he was committed to God. They changed his name. They filled his head with all kinds of indoctrination. They, they taught him about how the Babylonian gods are the great gods, and that's how Babylon's become this great nation, and all this kind of fluff, and your God's nothing. They, they, pumped, it, they pumped him full of it. Propaganda all the time. And still, he had a commitment to the one true God of Israel. The God who had allowed him to be taken away in slavery. That's the amazing thing about this, isn't it? He has is, he is decided within himself to be committed to the God who didn't seem to be committed to him at the moment. He had decided not to defile himself. And he said, I don't want my body to be defiled. He says, my body's not mine. It's, it belongs to God. And I'm not going to let it be defiled. Uh, I'm not going to let God's body be defiled. He had that kind of recognition. He didn't say, oh, yeah, it's my body. I'll do whatever I want. I'm so glad, you know, a young guy. I'm so glad to be throwing off the, the reins of the heavy yoke of my parents telling me all these rules and all these things to do. You know, he didn't have that attitude at all. He had, he had a relationship with God that was rooted in his own faith, not in the faith of his parents. Here he is in a foreign place, you know, completely able to do whatever he wants, and yet he chooses to do what he knows is really right. He chooses to do what is against the culture around him. All the other guys around him were some of the, the best of the best, I'm sure, from all kinds of different nations some of the most beautiful specimens with the most knowledge and the most wisdom. And, and, I mean, guys who really just wanted it and they were enjoying all of these things and, and they, weren't, they weren't 
causing a stink. They weren't, you know, messing up anything, going against the grain. And he said, I'm not going to do it. And that probably would have been one of the most uncomfortable conversations that he had had in his life up to this point. Think about how uncomfortable that would be to say, I I don't want to eat this. To go against and to be disagreeable whenever people are pressuring you is hard. But he chose to go against. He chose to do what was hard because it was right. Instead of doing the wrong thing, which would have been really, really easy. He chose the discipline of self-control. You know, in our lives, a lot of us are struggling with self-control. We have all kinds of things that are pulling at us and, and trying to give us dopamine hits so that we're, we're, we're constantly trying to do things to just satisfy our, our urges and, and desires and, and things like that. And, and we need self-control. We need discipline. And what we see in this, he chose to have self-control. He chose to have discipline. He chose not to compromise what he had done in the past. He had spent so much time working on being disciplined, being self-controlled, and he said, I'm not going to compromise it. I'm not going to give it up. I've been faithful up until this point, and I'm going to keep being faithful. And it's a lot easier whenever you haven't compromised it to keep being that way. And he, he made that decision, and he decided to remain faithful. But I know that those, those desires were pulling at him, of course, like everybody else, like every other young guy, just wanting to try it, just wanting to experiment, wondering what it would be like. It, is it as good as these guys around me are, are claiming it is? But he had enough discipline in himself to resist the temptations, to resist the urge, because he loved the promises of God. He loved the relationship with God more than he loved this world. You see in this that discipline is a choice that we all have to make to master our desires. The desires within us to conform, the desires within us to take the easy way, to do the easy thing, even though it's wrong, has to be mastered, has to be overtaken. We have to be the master of it, and we have to overthrow the temptation and have power over it. We have to make the choice to do that. And that's within us to make that choice. God is going to help us with that. And that's what he promises to us. As we go through life, we are a lot like Daniel. With Babylon constantly trying to reshape us, uh, to change us into the image of, of who it is. Right? The image of a Babylonian trying to make us more like them. And so we're constantly being told that you're going to find your worth in all of the wealth that you accumulate. That's the message of our society. Your worth is in your wealth. Uh, your truth is in the trends that we've set and that we're presenting to you. That's your truth. That's what greatness looks like. You just have to emulate us. You just have to look like us and be like us. And then you'll find your truth and life will be good for you. You need peace? Well, just buy this 
for $9.99, you know, and you'll have peace. This is going to give you your peace. All of our possessions are going to give us peace. It tells us all of this over and over again on repeat. And so how do we navigate a culture that is constantly filling us with lies? Just like Daniel had a culture constantly filling him with lies. Every single TV show, every movie that we watch is laced with that education that Daniel's experiencing. Trying to lead us to assimilate. Trying to lead us to conform. To be okay with what they say is okay. And to go against the things that God says we need to be for. The things that God has told us to pursue, to keep our mouths shut whenever an opportunity comes to speak the truth. And to keep our mouths shut whenever we have an opportunity to help people. Sorry. We're fed a steady diet of consumerism. And that is what the world around us wants us to believe in. So we have to learn how to navigate this. We have to learn how to, to choose correctly and to be disciplined, just like Daniel. We have to choose self-discipline. We, we have to know what our identity is. Who are you? What is your mission? You see, the attack of the Babylonians is an attack on the mind. It's an attack on the heart. It's saying, you're not a follower of God. You're not an Israelite. That God is, is no good. That God is not for you. That God's not real. He's not good. He's against you. That's what we're constantly being bombarded with. And, and you don't want to follow him, and you don't want to be for him, and you don't want to do his work. And if you don't know who you are, and you're not grounded in who you are, and you're not grounded in the mission that God has given to you, then you're going to fall into their temptations. If you want to navigate Babylon, you have to decide, how far am I going to go to maintain purity? Before that occasion, before that event ever approaches you, before that opportunity to sin, that question, that, that, that meat is, is dangled in front of your eyes, you have to decide, are you willing to go against the grain? Are you willing to say no? when it's uncomfortable to say no? Are you willing to do something that's uncomfortable to do? Daniel's choices here serve as our example. He doesn't, he's not overtly rebellious and defiant. He doesn't, you know, try to cause an uproar. He doesn't try to, to, to make it appear as though he is overthrowing the king or undermining the king. He's not in a power grab. He's not trying to excel above everybody else and, and do what's in his best interest. But he's just trying to be faithful. And that's it. I imagine he didn't correct them whenever they call him Belshazzar or any, any name or whatever they wanted to call him. I imagine they didn't, he didn't pitch a fit about having to sit in classes all day and learn all this Babylonian junk. And he probably didn't raise his hand and say, that's not true. And raise his hand and say, that's not true. He's not, he's not causing all kinds of problems for everybody. He knows he's in a situation where he must submit to their authority. But at the same time, his heart is protected. 
he will only love and serve God. He will not bow down to the idols, and he will not eat their food that is offered to idols. When the world around us seeks to disorient us, we must also choose. There are some things we can make concessions for. It's no big deal. Okay, you want to you change my name? You want to force me to dress this way or force me to drive this fast or uh, force me to go to the store at this time or whatever it is. You want to take away my freedoms, which is essentially what Daniel had taken away from him, all kinds of freedoms taken away from him. You want to take away those freedoms, they're yours. But there's some things that I won't change. And that's what we have to decide on. That's what Daniel decided on in his heart. There's some things that I will not give up on. I'm going to hold to this no matter what. There are laws of God that I hold of extremely high importance and value in my conscience, in my heart, that if I go against those, then I'm defying and rebelling against God, and I will not do that. And we see the apostles do this in the New Testament. They say, whether it's right in the sight of God to obey man or God, you decide. But as for us, we're going to serve God. We're going to keep doing the things that God has told us to do. And that, that is rebellion. That is defiance against the, the, the authority. But it's not a desire to rebel. It's in a situation where I have to rebel. And that's very much what we see Daniel doing. He doesn't seek to fight but he resists conformity. And he's relying, ultimately, as you read through this, on God. Notice, he didn't hear from God, okay, Daniel, here's what you're going to do. You're going to tell him you only want to eat vegetables, and then you're going to tell him to test you in 10 days. Daniel never heard that message <laughs> that we're told. He just decided, I'm going to be faithful. And he didn't say, okay, if 10 days we're not any fatter, then I'll eat the food. But he said, just test me in 10 days and see how it goes. Knowing that God could take vegetables and make him appear better than everybody else. So Daniel is seeking God as he is in Babylon, and he finds him. It would have been real easy for him to give up on God. We talked about that. It would have been real easy for him to say, God, you've abandoned me, and I'm in the darkness now. I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, and, and I don't see you or hear you or feel you, and I don't know that you're here, so I'm just going to give up on you. But he doesn't give up on God. And God hasn't left him. As you continue reading, notice verse 17. Uh, we, we saw already that after 10 days, they were, it was seen they were better in appearance and fatter than everybody else. But in verse 17, as these four used, God gave them learning and skill and all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding and all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them and among all of them. None was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Notice Daniel had decided he's going to be faithful, and God was with him all along the way. 
God didn't just make him healthy and fat and the appearance of the eunuch, but God also gave him wisdom, that, that he and his friends were ten times better than everybody else. And the scripture clearly tells us God gave that to Daniel. God gave him that. God has the ability to work inside of us to provide us with wisdom and knowledge and understanding. Do you believe that? You pray for me to have ready recollection. I hope you believe that. (laughs) God has the power, the ability to work inside to create a more knowledgeable, more understanding person. If if you've risen to the top, then who's the one that gave you that ability? Well, God did. And, And why did he do that? Well, much like Daniel, those who have that higher position, that higher role, have greater opportunity for uh, helping other people to see the light. And as, as God was with Daniel, he promises he'll be with us. He'll be empowering us. He'll be rewarding us. And he's going to be stronger than the Babylonians. He's going to be stronger than them. They're the oppressors, right? They're the ones who, who control and dictate everything that these guys do. And yet God, as we study through the book of Daniel, is going to demonstrate they're not in control, really. And by the end of Daniel's life, he, he really understands this. He says some really bold things to kings because he knows God can crush them. And he does. He crushes them. In an instant, they're gone. So God is always with Daniel. He's always providing for Daniel. Daniel recognizes that, and he uses that for God's glory. He doesn't use it for his own advancement. He doesn't, you know, enjoy the wealth and the luxury all for himself and and not give God the credit. As we read through this, we're going to see he is solely focused on God. He's relied on God's faithfulness and he turns to God to proclaim his excellencies to all the men whom he's around. And I think there's so much in that for us. Are we relying on God's faithfulness? Are we believing in his promises that he'll be with us, that he'll help us along life's way as we turn to him in those moments of, uh, of difficulty, of uncomfortableness? Are we, are, we, are we believing that he's going to help work this out for our good? Even if we're in a state of oppression, even if we're in a state of uh, disarray because everything's falling apart around us, are we going to put our trust in him and believe that he can bring us out of it? Are we going to maintain purity and, and maintain that relationship on our end whenever we can't see or feel or hear him around us? We have to make that decision. You see, Daniel here is, is really interesting. You know, he's not a David. You, you know, you got David and Goliath, and man, it's just so easy to love David, right? I mean, he's a warrior. He's going out there, a little man with a sling, and he knocks a big hole in Goliath's head, and he cuts his head off, and we're like, wow, man, that's my hero. But what does Daniel do? When faced with death, he says, I'm going to be faithful with God. I'm going to just do the things that God wants me to do. And you do whatever you got to do, but I'm going to be faithful to God. Now, that's another hero for us. That's a hero of faith, but it's someone that we can relate to, isn't it? 
I mean, his situation's not that far removed from a lot of our situations in our lives. So, uh, so, so I hope that you're excited about this book as I am. I hope you can see how Daniel is clinging to the identity and the promises of God that, that we read about throughout Scripture. He is resolved to obey God, not because it's what he's always done, but really because he knows who God is. He knows what God has promised, and he believes him. And that's what he has decided and determined in his heart. He's going to be faithful to the one God who has always been faithful to all of his promises. He's willing to rebel against the urge to conform. He's willing to confront and to, uh, to, to let his, his desires be known whenever they probably didn't want to hear it. You know, that, that eunuch was resisting him, and yet he stood firm. And we have to be willing to do that. We can't be pushovers about this stuff. And God heard him and cared for him. That's what we see as we study all of this. So uh, as Christians, we also are called to embrace our identity in Christ. If you are a child of God, that is your identity. That is who you are. And the children are supposed to reflect the parents. And that's what our, that's what our life should be all about. And Jesus has gone before us showing us how to reflect the Father. Uh, if you know Jesus, you know the Father, is what Jesus said in, in the Gospel of John. So we should be reflecting the Father as well. We should be following in his footsteps and embracing this identity. We should know who we are. We should believe that's who we are. And we should stand for what, what the person who is identifying as Christ stands for. And all the things that we do on this earth, uh, we're called to live with a spirit of love and power and self-control and not a spirit of fear. And so that's ultimately what our mission has to be going forward. We're not going to be afraid of doing the uncomfortable, but we're going to make the choice to be disciplined, to be self-controlled, and to do the things that God has put us on this earth to do. Whenever he lifts us up in wherever we are, we're going to use the opportunities he gives us for his glory. And we're going to pursue righteousness and purity even when it's difficult. The call to be a Christian is not a call to an easy and simple life. It's a call to a life where we're all living sacrifices, offering God our sacrifices on a daily basis in so many different ways. Whether it's our money, whether it's our possessions, whether it's our time, uh, whatever gift God has given us, we're going to learn a lot about gifts in the future. We're, we're given those things so that we can give them in a way that glorifies and honors God. That's the call of a Christian. And that was obviously the call of an Israelite, and Daniel understood that, and I hope you do too. If you're here tonight and you're not a child of God and you've not received the, the blessings of having peace with God through Jesus, we want to encourage you and help you in any way that we can. And, and we hope that you'll let us know whatever you need. If you're, you're a Christian and you've strayed and you've been pulled by the world to conform to the world, then look at Daniel and consider how you can overcome this and, and get back on the track to purity. Jesus has promised to wipe away all of our sins if we, like the prodigal son, will come back and return, he will forgive us and provide us with spiritual cleansing so that we can be renewed and be pure once again. Uh, we are being sanctified. We're being made holy as we live this life. Let's pursue it 
And let's enjoy the, the blessing of forgiveness and be, be righteous as he is righteous. If anybody here needs to make a change, if you need anything, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.